Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Scott Dolan to our show. Dr. Dolan is the Dean of Graduate Studies at Excelsior College in Albany, New York. Hi, Scott. I'm excited to have you on our podcast today. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited too. So tell me about Excelsior College and why students select your institution. So, and don't get, I always say this, I preface, don't get nervous by where we start. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're a nonprofit uh, distance education provider. Uh, we're headquartered in Albany, New York, and we were founded in 1971. I think that's important to start there just because of uh, the uniqueness of the of the institution um, really makes us one of the oldest uh, nonprofit uh, old distance education providers. We were originally founded by the New York State Board of Regents uh, through grants from the Ford Foundation uh, and the Carnegie Corporation. Uh, and at the core of the founding of the institution was the idea that uh, learners, adults specifically, should be able to earn their degree based on learning and not seat time. Um, so. Uh, originally founded for working adult learners with a, providing them with a flexible and affordable pathway to earn a college credential. Uh, and something in the 1970s, that idea was pretty, pretty radical. Uh, for a lot of our history, we were a college without courses of our own uh, and really without resident faculty. We had external faculty who helped develop the programs and the, and the requirements. Uh, and we had advisors who would advise students to uh, take uh, learning in, in a variety of different ways. And we evaluated that learning and packaged it into the degree uh, and the, the state uh, conferred uh, the degree. So from the beginning, it was about the assessment of learning, aggregation of credit uh, and flexible pathways for students uh, and working adult learners to complete their degree. Um, we became private in 1998. Our name changed in 2001. With the advent of online learning, we began to offer our own courses so students could satisfy the degree requirements. Uh, we're a fully online institution of over 16,000 students still serving working adults, um, 36 years old. 80% of our students are um, full-time or part-time workers. Um, we have a long history of serving uh, students in the military uh, who, you know, because of their uh, careers and uh, choices in life, uh, really do need uh, flexibility as they move around. Uh, and today we offer associates, bachelor's, master's degrees across a wide array of fields in business, technology, health and nursing, uh, public service and, and liberal arts, as well as uh, a number of certificate programs aligned with emerging markets. And that's an expanding number of certificates, um, too. But um, really true to our mission of serving working adult students, uh, giving them an affordable and accessible uh, option to a college degree. You know, uh, over the years, I've probably, I know at least a handful of uh, nurses that graduated from Excelsior. And it's kind of interesting because from my perspective, you know, in Montana, we have, we have nursing programs all over the state. And so you, you, you don't realize that access is really important for some of these students. They couldn't get into a program or they're on a wait list of another hundreds and hundreds. And so it seems like for a lot of the, a lot of the working adults who also want to attend college that you, you have a pretty good access system for them to, to continue their career. Yeah, in many ways, our nursing program is one of a kind. Um, uh, and 
in, in that way has really, and in an area and uh, a field that uh, there's just incredible demand and even more so with, with COVID. So uh, what we're able to do uh, for that profession, uh, both in a high quality and rigorous way, but also in an accessible and flexible way has really been a hallmark for the institution from, from our inception. Yeah. Well, what's new at Excelsior? Um, uh, so, so many exciting, <laughs> exciting things. Uh, uh, you know, that's one of the, uh, real pleasures of working at an institution like Celsius that there's always something new. I think the biggest news for us is we just received approval from the state of New York to become a university, uh, which we really see as a natural step in our evolution uh, as an institution. I think a lot of that, I really want to thank President Scable uh, for his work uh, leading the charge within the state to change the rules about what qualifies as a university within New York state. Um, and we've had this conversation within the institution for nearly a decade about the desire um, to become a university, but the rules within New York were pretty restrictive relative to uh, the rules in, in many other places within the United States. So uh, New York was one of the few states in the country where in order to qualify as a university, an institution needed to offer three PhD programs uh, in, um, uh, uh, in three different uh, of 10 disciplines. Um, and when President Scable arrived in 2020, I think he really set out a goal of of making our internal conversations and, uh, uh, and goals a, a reality. Uh, and he led an effort with uh, other institutions throughout the state to persuade the Board of Regents that uh, about how these regulations really put us at a disadvantage to many other uh, institutions throughout the, throughout the country and the world. Um, so happy to say that they, they listened to, to, that, uh, to that argument uh, and they changed the rule to, um, so now in, in New York State, um, in order to qualify as a university, you need three master's degree programs uh, uh, in three different disciplines across across ten. So, come August one, we will be a university, and I think that um, it's really really exciting. Well, congratulations! You know, uh, here's a kind of a silly question because I didn't know that. I didn't know actually. Uh, example, other states, you know, what their requirements are. Do you have any idea of what's the norm for the term university being used? Yeah, just a comprehensive institution that's offering uh, 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 programs across a variety of disciplines at the at the graduate level, right? Um, so this idea of kind of, kind of having that PhD designation and uh, was really really different than what we were gotcha. seeing in other places. Yeah. Okay, if I was a student in an elevator and you told me that, hey, you know, we're getting ready to become a university, I guess my question would be, well, what's what? Does, how does that affect me as a student, or actually, you know, uh, how does that affect the university? I mean, I think there's certainly a, um, a level of prestige and reputation associated with that. We, we think that we've been offering education that is equivalent to that reputation and prestige for a long time. It's just we were prevented by the rules within, within New York State from actually being able to call ourselves that. With that said, I think it offers us the opportunities to really rethink things uh, for us in the future. Um, so, you know, as part of this um, change, we're talking about um, moving towards professional doctorates, not PhDs per se, but uh, professional doctorates in business, um, doctor of nursing practice and other fields. We think it provides us an opportunity to uh, expand our array of programs, especially at the graduate level, uh, to think a little bit more about serving uh, an international market where that word university really means something different uh, in a lot of countries. And sometimes college is equivalent to, to high school education uh, in countries throughout the world. So um, you know, we're going to launch a new college of nursing and health sciences. So we can really think about a new structure ar around that too. So 
a lot of exciting things around what what is possible for us as we move forward as a college, as a university, I should yeah. say. That's that's really exciting. And and you get to be on the ground floor as, as this thing moves forward. So good for you. Yeah. Um, can you talk about yourself and the path that led you to become the Dean of Graduate Studies at Excelsior? Where'd you come from? Tell me about the long path you just went through. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, So I'm a sociologist by trade. Uh, I was in a PhD program at the University of Albany, um, which is really well known for its research in demography, immigration, um, political sociology, uh, and trained people for tenure track positions in research, uh, really developing scholars. Um, uh, And that's what I thought I wanted uh, when I I started. Um, I think about halfway through my uh, PhD program, I've felt like this wasn't my passion, um, uh, that uh, really this idea of publish or perish uh, wasn't really working for me. Um, and that kind of approach in uh, narrow basic research really um, just didn't feel right uh, for me. So I started to explore, you know, I, I loved sociology as a discipline and the content area, the subject matter. I, I enjoyed uh, learning about the methodologies, about how we learn about the world and answer questions. Uh, and I enjoy teaching. Uh, it's just the research lifestyle was something, the organization, the self-discipline, uh, take, it's, it's a real skill. Uh, um, and it wasn't uh, suited to, to, to my interests. So I started looking for ways to apply my subject matter expertise to, uh, and you know, understanding of methodology within social science to uh, apply to real world problems. So I took a uh, graduate assistantship and program evaluation, uh, started working on using methods and tools within organizational contexts um, um, in P through 20 education space, health and human services field. And I really love being able to use my um, research background to help organizations solve real world problems and also to evaluate um, um, their strategic approaches within uh, uh, their programs that they were providing. So um you know, fast forward a little bit, I, I, uh, I missed higher education, right? It's one of those sectors where you get to uh, just the culture of learning, being uh, surrounded by really smart people. Um, I'm a sociologist, so I'm really interested in uh, economic mobility. And I still think education, especially higher education, is um, the primary driver of economic mobility. So to be able to um, use my research and also be back in higher education was something that was attractive to me. And I took a position at Excelsior in assessment and program evaluation um, and really was using just um, data analysis and methodology and research to help um, the unit uh, really uh, meet its goals. Um, I took on increasing responsibility, specialized accreditation for um, technology programs, business programs, became responsible for strategic development within the uh, School of Business and Technology. Uh, The Associate Dean of Business uh, moved on. I took that role on an interim basis uh, and uh, and then uh, six months later on a permanent basis. Um, We reorganized from disciplinary-based schools to um, a School of Undergraduate Studies and a School of Graduate Studies, um, became the Associate Dean of Graduate Studies and and have been the Dean Mm -hmm. of uh, Graduate Studies for the last last three years, but I still think you know, at the foundation, I think, you know, data on using data to inform decisions, uh, especially strategic decisions um, is, is key to what I do uh, as a Dean uh, and, and my philosophy uh, uh, as a leader. So I think, you know, that training uh, as a sociologist and then, 
you know, applied um, sociology and program evaluation kind of has helped me get to where I am. Yeah. So that probably put you about 2019 when you became the dean there, something like that. Yes. Yep. Uh, to the last three years. Yep. Okay. So how has your leadership style evolved since 2019? You know, you came in, I, I know you had some experience as an associate dean, but a dean's a way different gig than being an associate dean. So how has it evolved from day one? Uh, uh, um, in countless ways, it's hard. I mean, I, that's the one thing I think um, about leadership that I think you have to be open to is that you got to learn, right? And continue uh, um, to learn. So uh, very early on uh, in the dean's role, I found I was someone who was really comfortable with change, which I think in higher ed these days you have to be um, because the, the sector's changing pretty dramatically. But I also learned that not everyone that works with you uh, is as comfortable uh, with change as that's, you might That's be. really a fair statement for everybody I know in higher ed. Change is not that they really don't seem to handle change very well. I mean, change is the only constant <laughs> right now. Uh, and it's the only, I mean, you looking through the, the windshield forward, um, there's nothing, you, the, the, the future really is uncertain. It's ambiguous. Uh, so I think comfort with change is really, really important, but also empathizing with the fact that not, you know, humans, and I think this again, sociology as a background, humans are not really uh, open to change. We like comfort. We like stability. Um, um, so, you know, I, I learned pretty quickly in, in the role as Dean that it was my job to help people become, uh, understand why change is necessary, uh, to embrace a sense of urgency around, uh, around change, uh, and also to make sure that, uh, everyone was clear on what the vision was for the, for the future, even though that vision might be, uh, somewhat uncertain, uh, or, uh, or, um, ambiguous, uh, as, as we move forward, but, uh, bring people along uh, uh, around change, communication, uh, and the importance of communication, uh, and, and and listening. Um, you know, two way communication is two two ways, uh, and that's what helps you empathize with how people are feeling about um, what we're doing. Mm, that's a good point. Um, you know, colleges are now having to bundle and unbundle uh, their curriculum along with developing partnerships with industry. So I guess my question is how is Excelsior responding to today's students and community needs? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the economy is just going through and even before COVID was going through some radical uh, structural changes, uh, technology, you know, the, you know, the very fact that, you know, we're able to record this podcast has changed the way we interact with with one another, it's also changed the way we've we've worked, right? Um, uh, so uh, there's a significant displacement of, of some jobs and the emergence of others. So you have employers saying uh, technology is uh, dramatically making them reduce their workforce, and on the same hand, you have other employers saying we don't have enough skill for the jobs that we have. We need more talent. Uh, and I think uh, COVID uh, and what we've gone through has really only accelerated that disruption uh, within the economy. And I, you're seeing that pretty clearly from employers uh, in terms of how they're changing uh, uh, the requirements for hiring. You know, the, I think the big uh, conversation or 
right now is around skills, right? Uh, and what role that plays not only in, in, in education, but also in, and also in the hiring process. So IBM, uh, uh, Google, AWS, you know, developing their own pathways uh, to skill development uh, in ways that could be an alternative or a complement to uh, traditional uh, higher education. And I think that's one thing that we in the higher education sector need to really pay attention to is how do we, how do we partner with, uh, with organizations uh, in, in that space to deliver um, uh, skill-based uh, learning? But to me, and I think there's a lot of noble, I mean, I think there's another context uh, around this as well. Uh, you know, there's a, a real talent shortage uh, for, for some of these organizations, but I also think there's a, a, an emerging conversation uh, around equity. Uh, diversity, inclusion, uh, one that I think is a long time coming uh, and it's being taken seriously in ways that it hasn't hasn't before, right? So in some ways, the degree has been a, a barrier for a lot of uh, individuals to do uh, these jobs. So, so we're, employers are becoming um, much more sensitive uh, to that, right? So in trying to create more flexible pathways to jobs, um, that they need to fill uh, and careers that they're looking to develop. So I think part of what we need to do within higher education is meet employers where they are and what and, and, and kind of prepare people for the jobs that exist by um, teaching uh, two skills. But at the same time, to me, um, I still think that education is more durable in a, in a lot of ways. Right? Um, uh, colleges are not preparing people for jobs only, right? Uh, we're pairing to people for careers uh, and satisfying lives, you know, and, and then not in an ivory tower way. I really believe, right? Uh, good citizens. Uh, it's this important. Today, it's an important conversation to have, right? So it's a combination between skills uh, and that more durable long-term uh, education that we can provide, right? So um, it requires us to really think differently about how we um, teach and learn, how we develop programs, uh, what we do with, with those. Uh, so I think certificates, which can allow students to validate the skills that they've developed uh, in shorter duration uh, and kind of pulling those out, um, making sure first that we're teaching those in the courses, but also pulling those out from a long-term uh, degree and building um, and stacking those uh, certificates uh, on a pathway towards towards degrees. I think that's a really important conversation for us to be paying attention uh, uh, to. You know, you look at Coursera, you look at 2U, you look at alternative credential providers. They are growing through the roof. The demand for that sort of skill development from learners is there, and you see enrollments uh, in higher ed right. are, are de decreasing. Right, there are serious questions about the value of a college degree. So I think it's our job to um, you know, meet employers uh, halfway and partner with them around how we can do both, right? Prepare people for jobs, but also give that more durable uh, education that a degree does provide. Uh, and you know, um, and the, the data is still there, right? There's the long-term value to a college degree. You look at unemployment rates, you look at uh, median, median uh, wages and salaries, uh, they're still significantly higher, especially for people with that four-year degree, which remains a gold standard. Yeah, uh, you know, when you talk about st stacking or micro credentials, I think I think that's, you know, that's becoming now, I don't want to call it a buzzword, that's the norm now, uh, at least from industry side, they, they now, uh, I think they get a little frustrated with higher ed, just because the simple fact that higher ed is so slow to make any change sometimes. And, and I agree, if higher ed doesn't pay attention to it, business is going to figure out a way to do it without higher ed. So 
And they're doing it, right? I mean, I, just looking at the, the learner demand um, and, and and learners want speed to competence. Uh, they want a more affordable pathways to uh, validate that they've got, that they've learned what they've needed to for the jobs that are that are available. Um, uh, and, and employers are investing in, in, not only in um, in new new pathways, but in, in in career development themselves too, in ways that maybe you know they relied on colleges and higher education to do that uh, for them uh, previously. So there's a you know it's a it's an interesting time to see how that develops as we move forward. Yeah. Well, I'm going to change topics and and talk about a subject that a lot of people kind of cringe a little bit, and that has to do with accreditation. So it looks like you've gone through an accreditation and uh, self-study and also a site visit. So what do you think the role will be in the future for accreditation? Yeah, I serve as the accreditation liaison officer uh, for our institutional creditor. Um, uh, And it's been a, you know, personally, it's been a great experience for us uh, as an institution. Um, uh, It was a two and a half year process. Um, It was a college-wide process. It was an inclusive process. I had the privilege of uh, working alongside the faculty member who co-chaired uh, the self-study, and it really allowed us to look at generalized standards that we have set for ourselves around quality of education, and evaluate us as an institution relative to those standards and and our and our own and our own mission. Um, and thinking about continuous improvement, uh, and also highlighting what we think our strengths are. So that was a really great reflective process. And as as I think about moving, you know, I, th- I know a lot of people say accreditation, or I, there's an argument that accreditation is a barrier uh, to innovation. I just, I just don't, I really don't buy that, that argument, right? Uh, most institutional accreditation is about, um, is about uh, mission first, and then generalized standards of quality, right? And evaluating uh, institutions relative to those two things. And you have a lot of flexibility underneath those standards to do things. Uh, and I think, Moving forward, it really the conversation around accreditation really needs to focus a bit more on on outcomes. In some ways, there might be uh, a need for us to set higher standards uh, for ourselves uh, uh, as a sector, and then to hold you know the, so all of these other alternative credential providers. One of the things that uh, scares me about that is where's the regulation of those uh, uh, providers, right? Where's the quality? What are the metrics that we're using to evaluate uh, those providers in the ways that we're trying to hold ourselves accountable? And, and, and there's plenty of criticism of, of colleges and universities, and, and many of much of it is fair. However, uh, there's you know uh, uh, we can be slow to change. Sure, uh, we can be bureaucratic, but um, there's a long history of success in terms of how we. Uh, we've helped students. There's plenty of room for improvement, uh, uh, no doubt, if when you look at completion rates, when you look at inequities, um, uh, for sure. Uh, but I don't think all of those issues are uh, within a college or university alone. And, and certainly they're not, uh, accreditation is not the barrier uh, uh, here. I think there's a lot of flexibility within uh, the accreditation guidelines that we have. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I'd be one uh, for asking for a bit more focus on, uh, on outcomes uh, and making sure that what we're doing in all areas of learning are really helping students meet, meet, those, meet those outcomes. So, uh, and I think that's an evolving conversation. Uh, uh, I, and I think uh, I, I'm one for looking for, uh, for, for raising the standards around, around accreditation. Okay. Well, what's been your proudest moment so far at Excelsior? 
I mean, I think for certainly one of them has been uh, the two and a half year process around the accreditation uh, visit. I think, and again, it was just such a, a you know, uh, I remember sitting there in the in the training for the self study, uh, and uh, we agreed at the time to make it fun. Uh, and you know, kudos to Blue LeMay, the faculty member who was the co chair. She did right, uh, and and. Uh, and it really allowed us to bring the college together around some really important conversations about where we've been, where we are now, and, and, and where, where we're going. Um, uh, you know, in addition to that, I think, uh, you know, part of the transition from disciplinary schools to a school of graduate studies and being on the ground floor for that, uh, for that change and, and leading a, a, what I think is a high quality team, uh, uh, one that is an important part of the future uh, for the university, uh, something that I'm really, really proud of. Uh, and we've been innovative in our program uh, development. Um, so, you know, one of the first institutions to move forward with a, a credit bearing certificate in cannabis control, uh, oh. uh, developing a whole suite of, uh, of certificates that uh, allow students to stack into our degree programs and really thinking about um, breaking down disciplinary boundaries uh, uh, in programs too and, and taking a more interdisciplinary approach. I think, uh, and maybe this is the sociologist in me again, but uh, I really do think the world is becoming more interdisciplinary and the problems that we have to solve uh, as a society are going to require cross-sector collaboration. So this idea that uh, business is over here, technology is over there, and the social sciences are over there, it's just, it's, that's kind of an antiquated way of thinking about how we educate and prepare people for, for, uh, uh, for the world. So, um, you know, how do we blur the boundaries around these disciplines and bring people together around common issues, not only large scale complex issues, but also within organizations to kind of uh, foster uh, uh, more inter-unit uh, collaboration, uh, communication, teamwork, uh, improve diversity, equity, inclusion within an organization as well. So, uh, you know, so that, you know, it's been exciting. We have an interdisciplinary core uh, within our uh, graduate program. So all of our students take uh, six credits um, uh, together, no matter what master's degree program they're um, uh, pursuing uh, in ethical leadership and strategic talent management. Uh, and we focus those uh, courses on common issues across disciplines uh, and uh, what it takes to collaborate across those uh, different disciplines to solve some of those issues. Well, since you mentioned DEI, what suggestions would you have to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion on colleges and universities? Um, yeah. Let me, I, I guess first, I think it's important for me to recognize that I come from a per position of privilege. Uh, and I think people in leadership positions who do, uh, it's important to first recognize that. Uh, uh, I'm also a trained sociologist. So it's pretty clear to me that one of the major challenges we have as a society is growing socioeconomic inequality over time uh, and, and a gap that is increasing. Uh, not just within the U.S., but but globally, um, and we're not just talking about legacies of discrimination uh, in history, but we're talking about inequities that persist and are reified. They're recreated uh, in many ways. They're expanding. Um, so uh, it's you know the issues we face today: political polarization, uh, the geopolitical strife that we see, environmental sustainability at the root. Uh, is really, to me, an issue of inequity and, and inequality. So I think it's our most pressing issue uh, 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 today. Um, so 
what do we do uh, about that? I think the first thing uh, we need to do is to, is to listen uh, uh, and to pay attention. I think there, uh, um, there's a whole generation that is taking these issues more seriously and are asking us to take action uh, uh, to rectify some of the inequities that exist in the world. So I think it's important to understand uh, the perspectives, uh, uh, not only of that generation, but uh, uh, different groups. Um, I think we need to make DEI a priority um, uh, such that it's a key component of our mission and goals. Um, in education, I think our fundamental job is to transform people's lives, to create better, better communities, right? So we should be paying attention to inequity. Uh, I'm proud to say that Excelsior College, we just launched the Center for Social Justice. Um, you know, just recognizing that uh, we play an important role in creating a space for important conversations, increasing awareness about um, the social, political, um, the economic inequities that exist uh, in the world. Um, I think it's our job to give space for healthy, spirited, and respectful dialogue uh, and, and, and to discourse that's critical, right? So creating a culture and environment where we allow people to disagree, um, but that we also fall back to, you know, our, our training as educators too, um, uh, around um, uh, evidence data and using that to inform uh, our, our decisions and our, and our work. So, um, you know, I think it's important for us to create that culture where that discourse can happen uh, and not just and maybe, you know, the, for us, it's not just, just about talk, but it's also about action, right? There's, there's a role that we play in trying to uh, change uh, the world uh, for, for, for the better um, and to, you know, maybe uh, create, create that uh, better. And that requires us to empathize with people who have different, different viewpoints uh, and to understand uh, that they have those worldviews and perspectives because of their own social uh, and cultural histories. I think, um, um, you know, I think that's essential, right? So it's, so it's listening, even when we don't, and, and uh, even when we don't agree, agree uh, with, with someone and listening to understand, right? Uh, and maybe to get to a better place, to a common ground. What do you think will be the major challenges and opportunities that colleges and universities will face in the next five to 10 years? I mean, I, I think we've touched upon it few of them already, but I think enrollments are a real challenge, right? Uh, um, they are down across most of uh, higher education. Um, and I think that has something to do with the demographics of, of the United States and the aging of the, of the population. Um, you know, it's something clearly we've uh, felt uh, in the Northeast. Um, um, and uh, so I think that's for one, uh, you know, the, the churn, the change that's going on around us, I think will be in be another, uh, and whether or not institutions uh, of higher education are able to evolve and become agile to the, the needs uh, of, of employers, right? So, I, you know, I said earlier, I do think um, higher ed uh, and college degrees mean something more than just jobs, but we can't deny that you know, and we're creating great citizens, but you know, part of being a good citizen is the job uh, that you have, right? Uh, and the quality of, of your life, right? Of which is directly related very often um, to, to the work that you do, right? So we can't run away from that, that idea, right? So how do we marry um, skill development with, uh, with education uh, and, and be able to provide um, our students with both um, uh, so that they can lead productive and, and high quality lives? Uh, and and um, 
and not to do you know to the other thing that I think um, you know because enrollments are, are are declining, I think we have to be creative and innovative in how we approach um, the work that we do, right? So rather than maybe competing with one another for enrollments, I think there's real opportunities for us to partner in, in new ways, right? Um, why do we all need to create a cybersecurity program, right? Well, why can't why can't we why can't we uh, recognize our complementary strengths uh, and the missions of our institutions and work together, right, uh, to deliver uh, programs for one another. We'll we'll save money and 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 kind of standing up those programs, and we'll also meet the needs of our students too. And we'll do that in uh, in in interesting and creative uh, creative ways. Uh, I, there are certainly challenges around this. Um, based on legacies of institutional structures. But at Excelsior, I think we're really open to working with other institutions in ways that work uh, uh, for all of us. So, um, you, know, there's, you know, there's no reason why we need to develop our own supply chain management uh, 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 content. Uh, there are others who are doing that really, really well. Um, our students might need it. Um, uh, and maybe those institutions aren't delivering it in uh, online. And we've got decades of experience of delivering high quality online, online learning. Um, you know, we're a top 10 online institution uh, in the most recent rankings from, from Newsweek. I think that's based on student um, uh, survey. So, uh, so let's leverage what we do well uh, in kind of delivering really high quality online education for working adults, but let's leverage uh, um, the expertise of other institutions uh, in the specific content area. And, and maybe they have uh, really expert and fantastic faculty, and this will work for our students in, in, in new ways. Uh, and it might be beneficial to both uh, institutions because it creates new markets uh, for all of us, right? And, we, and they might learn about how to deliver online education really well. And we, we are able to provide uh, a supply chain management uh, uh, education to our students. Well, how do you stay relevant and engaged with students and faculty at Excelsior? Uh, well, to, to stay relevant, uh, I mean, I doing a lot of reading, doing a lot of networking, having conversations with smart people like you uh, to uh, listen to your podcast, to, to learn about what's new uh, in the field. Uh, uh, you know, but I, you know, I think it's important for me as the dean of the school to talk directly to faculty uh, and students. Um, uh, so our faculty, we have uh, termly webinars. Uh, those are agendas that are driven by our faculty. Um, uh, so they're bringing issues to us uh, that they'd like to discuss. Uh, I have open office hours uh, monthly so I can, um, you know, by Zoom, so our students can join, uh, our faculty can join, prospective students can join. I'm happy to have a casual conversation, get to know folks, but I'm also interested in learning about what's working and what's not. Uh, uh, within our programs. I think uh, one of the benefits of online education is that you can see the classroom at all times. Um, so there are ways to uh, evaluate uh, uh, the teaching and learning experience. Um, and we have, uh, like most institutions, feedback forms from, from both faculty and students that give us uh, their perspective. And it's, you know, you know, my background is how do we use that information to evaluate our programs relative to our goals uh, and relative to the needs of both students uh, and faculty. And then what are we doing with that data to continuously improve? Uh, um, um, and you know, I think part of the job of a dean too is to think uh, a bit more forward uh, too and, and think where is the world going? Uh, and to, um, to try to create uh, approaches uh, that uh, is kind of 
that will work for where we are going and to take some risks and be willing to fail around some of those too, but to learn uh, along, along the way. Right. Um, so, uh, so I think it's a mix of, you know, of listening, being there, being present, uh, looking at the data, but then also saying, okay, uh, what are, what, what are we hearing from other experts in the field? And, and let's try some things and, and learn from it. Uh, some of them will work, some of them will not, uh, but we'll learn regardless. If you had any extra budget money right now with no strings attached at all, how would you spend it? Yeah, this might be. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's a cop out, but uh, scholarships, right? Uh, can we can we put money in the pockets of students yeah, uh, and help point. them? Uh, can we help them uh, get access to education in ways that they uh, might not be able to without those those resources? Um, you know, on the flip side, can we think about delivering education at a different scale uh, and at a different price point so that we don't have to worry about putting uh, money in the pockets of students uh, um, uh, or having them go into debt uh, in order to pursue uh, something uh, that is essential uh, to, their, to their livelihood? So um, I think most, if, if I had no strings attached, I'd give it right to the students and allow them to make their choices uh, uh, and meet their goals. I like that. Uh, here's my last question. Do you have any favorite books on leadership that you would recommend to other academic leaders? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I will put another plug in for being a sociologist. I think you learn a lot about people. Uh, and I think being a leader uh, um, is about understanding people, empathizing with people. Emotional intelligence is really about understanding what makes people tick and understanding your, what makes you tick, right? A little bit of a self, self-awareness. Uh, there too. Um, uh, so it starts to me with Mills, you know, this idea of a sociological imagination and understanding how issues and problems uh, are intersect with one another, understanding the role of the individual within a larger uh, system and society uh, uh, and, you know, having an understanding for the different uh, dispositions that make people the way, the way they are. I think, uh, you know, favor and power and authority. Um, you know, more uh, recently, you know, people like Michelle Lamont, uh, Woody Powell, others that are doing great research on why organizations act the way that they do and, and what makes them work uh, well. Um, you know, more standard traditional leadership books, you know, Cotter and Leading Change, uh, it's, it's still <laughs> really, really important, right? Um, because it's, you know, it's that classic that says change is the only constant. We have to embrace it. Uh, we have to um, help people become aware uh, of change, why it's important. We have to create that sense of urgency. Our job around communicating vision uh, of the future, um, building teams, um, uh, and uh, allowing teams to do their work uh, towards that, uh, that vision too. I think it's still one of the classics around, uh, around leadership uh, and probably more important today than it is, has ever been. Well, that's a nice place to, to end our conversation today. Thanks so much for being on our show. I really enjoyed our conversation. I did too, Dave. Thanks so much. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.